You are listening to Oblivion. It is August 14th, 2023. Uh, David, uh, let's talk about the children, especially uh, the Louisville, Kentucky children who have not been able to go back to school because the school system fucked up and, uh, and, uh, um, the little children couldn't get to, uh, school because of the bus system fucked up. Now, I've heard, uh, a couple of versions of this, um, uh, well, I mean, the main excuse that's given is that, you know, uh, I, they didn't say it this way, but I'm sure they imply it. Uh, you know, nobody wants to work, meaning you know they couldn't get find bus drivers uh, to do this job, which, um, let's face it, is a part time job. Uh, um, there are some fairly good benefits, but you know this is not the easiest job in the world, right? <laughs> uh, you know, you're driving all the damn time, and. Uh, responsible for all of these children yeah you know just uh so anyway um yeah so they're still not in school and uh, you know apparently the one of the big problems was that um uh they hired a consultancy because I, I guess they thought there were going to be problems because they couldn't find enough drivers uh, and they paid a bunch of money for some company to consult on it. <laughs> and, uh, well, rather than just pay people to drive the buses, they hired Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, uh, obviously fail miserably, you know, I'm sure that the move to hire the consultant was basically, uh, litigious. It was to cover their ass in anticipation of something's going to go wrong. But if we hire a consultant, then we can say, well, we were mainly just doing what the consultant recommended. Right, right. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, so maybe there was a little bit of insurance uh, in that move. But, but if uh, they're going to say uh, no one wants to work, well, then obviously it's your fault Right. If you can't offer uh, a people a job that they actually want, yeah, and that this is the general trend, of course. Um, Not to mention that it's just a total scapegoating uh, act of, of irresponsibility. I mean, what I read was some of the students were getting home. At 9.58 p.m. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, that is just unbelievable. Like, you would think that the system was trying to fuck up. Like, how can we design something or come up with something that is just so uh, the opposite of what would work well that we can generate this outcome? And it's always like this in, in America. These horrible outcomes, these miserable failures never mean anything. Now, we'll hold the thought, but I have to mention the counteroffensive, having just said that. Like, we just, we won't acknowledge that something is a bad idea and it's not working. It doesn't matter. We keep doing it. So to go back to the bus thing, Part of the problem on this, and this just makes it all the more of a farce, is that these problems are long-term uh, results of the desegregation of the Louisville school system back in the 1970s. And Louisville, among uh, other uh, bigger cities uh, in the United States, Boston is uh, one of the ones that stands out because of the pushback uh, and the, the racism in, in Boston was particularly intense when they 
desegregated the schools there. Right. But in, in Louisville, the way that it's uh, been working is that you are supposed to have a certain uh, percentage or proportion of whites and blacks in all the schools. Right. And so that means that people who live in Louisville can't simply go to school at the school that is closest to them, right, right. which actually makes sense, right? Can you imagine if you had grown up and you have to go uh, to Mayfield or to Marshall County to go to school? Well, David, actually, that's that did happen. Um, we, there, you know, in, until about, um, actually, uh, Al, uh, my brother, Alan, who's four years older than me, he went to Kirksey, L, uh, the school at Kirksey, and you know, they had, I don't know how many people, kids, 50, 100 kids, um, if that. Uh, so it was about that time, it was soon after that they got rid of the uh, small local uh, school buildings and consolidated. So I, uh, I went to North Elementary and was bused uh, every day. Um, and this was the um, part of the same busing act thing, but of course, um, right? But it's, it it's much different when you're talking about a, a rural area versus a, a, a city. Well, I mean, to just let me finish the that that one. I mean, it's just, um, yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, it was bad in that uh, at least that system. I spent an hour each way going, uh, you know, uh, back and forth from school every day. Um, fair, well, that, fair is, amount that is a long time. Yeah, it's a long time. And, uh, you know, it's an act straight there. It's a 15-minute drive, right? And, of course, if you had a, well, even less than that, really, um, now that I think about it. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> so, um, yeah, it just, uh, that was a drag. And, and really... And, you know, they did it nationwide, I guess, put it in busing. But, uh, you know, as far as race mixing or whatever, there was no real choice. You would end up in the system there, right? Uh, you know, um, one way or the other. So, uh, but, yeah, I mean, Louisville was an obvious case where, I mean, it's not obvious. There were some real big problems nationwide with uh, busing because it it inflamed uh, you know, it it basically caused segregation and more uh, segregation in schools because it was like uh, the racist whites were like, you know, pr went sent all their kids to the private schools if they possibly could and uh, that sort of thing. Um, right. Yeah. So in Louisville, it's when you get the the white flight when uh, the yeah, they all went the to the suburbs, and they white people had to get yeah. out of the. Because um, Louisville traditionally, I mean, it has been the West End of Louisville was uh, predominantly uh, African American, but um, there was a lot of mixing in those neighborhoods too. There were a lot of white people that lived in them. For instance, my mother-in-law uh, grew up within a block of Muhammad Ali, right? Uh, and this oh, was right, right. in the western part of. Uh, Louisville. Well, that's been just completely uh, changed where it's a ghetto uh, style situation where it's, you know, 90 to 95 percent black in uh, large areas of the West End. And, uh, and poor. And yeah, correspondingly very poor. Uh, you know, it is is a fucking ghetto. I mean, this is um, all there is to it. And uh, uh you know, they've, it's been kind of revitalized and changed, you know, arguably made even worse, uh, this ghettoization of the population. So the busing didn't help. I mean, maybe it helped distributing them out to spread them out to a different place in the city, but then they go back home and everybody has been ghettoized into the West End. Um, so, yeah, that, the, the state of racial relations in Louisville, Kentucky are poor, I can tell you that much. Um, Right, and, and that, that's really where I was leading up to with yeah. the, the busing situation yeah. is it, it's so pointless to have this convoluted 
system that determines where a student is going to go to school when the city that you live in is segregated and is extremely racist, right? The, pro- the, the goal needs to be desegregate your city. Don't just desegregate your schools. Right, it's right. pointless to desegregate schools in a segregated city. How is that productive? Right? Yeah, yeah, it's phony. It's totally phony. Yeah, phony. Right. That's um, excellent. Uh, excellent term. It's the it's the veneer. It's the appearance of saying, okay, there's been this ruling saying that you can't have separate but equal. We can't have schools that are essentially black over here and white over here, and so they they need to be integrated. Uh, but along your the point that you made of of trying to, once this occurred, trying to extract as many uh, whites out of these desegregated schools as possible. Another goal besides desegregate your city that is, is not being met is have good schools, follow best practices, right? Then you don't have to worry about where you're going to wind up going to school i read all these stories about how there's a limited number of spots at such and such academy or this one school district that's highly ranked and all the parents are hoping that their student will get selected and they'll get one of those spots and it's like why what why if, if you're if you actually valued education, if, if the priority was all of the schools will be good, then it wouldn't matter that you wound up at one school or another. Right. The, the problem is, is that as long as many of your schools are terrible, right. that's what your problem is. Right. And then you're also looking at it only from the individual perspective. This one individual student has a chance to go to one of the better schools in the district versus look at them collectively, right? As long as most of your schools are terrible, that means most of your students are going to terrible schools, no matter where a particular individual student winds up. And so uh, all of this just uh, shows what a, a... and uh, outdated and and miserable uh, system that the city of, of Louisville operates in, and that it does nothing. One of the, the sad things about Louisville is that it's just so uh, blatantly not interested in improving itself, right? And actually uh, moving through time. <laughs> And, and attempting to stay uh, current. I, I think of the lack of light rail as a big example, mm-hmm. right? The, the complete absence of any kind of easy-to-use, um, ubiquitous public transportation and the uh, obvious over-dependence on the automobile. Now, uh, I, w- I, will, that- I will counter just quickly um, that... Um, uh, yeah, I mean, one definite improvement in Louisville, they've, they cleaned up, uh, the riverfront. That was pretty good and put a really nice park there. They have, have improved the park systems quite a bit, expanded them out into the county. Uh, so, I mean, that, this is positive, although, again, there is an access, um, and, um, funding problem related to the segregation, right? So, I mean, this is a positive, these two things are positive, but it is aesthetic, right? Uh, um, Aesthetic plus a little bit of, sure, it's good to have, it's healthy for population to have good open spaces, you know, that it's not just a total concrete jungle everywhere, right? Um, Having those spaces has been seen to um, be important to uh, 
human health. So there is that. But uh, the access for the West End, again, uh, most of uh, the black population of Louisville is uh, ghettoized in the West End of Louisville. And uh, sure, there is a okay park, a longstanding Shawnee Park that goes along the river, uh, uh, West End of Louisville. Uh, but you know, I've been in a few times. It's it's pretty shabby compared to uh, the the more well-to-do. There's the really cool Iroquois Park. Now the, these were um, uh, 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 Shawnee Iroquois, which is on a knob that kind of overlooks Louisville, and then Cherokee Park, which is kind of the prime one that uh, uh, you know um, in the kind of center of. Uh, what used to be the east end of town. The, it was the suburbs back 125 years ago, but <laughs> it was the very right. edge of town, but now it's in the middle of town, basically. Um, and it was Olmstead um, created, you know, the one that did Central Park in New York. Um, so, uh, you know, we had, a, had that good basic um, park system there. Uh, but even even in that, you can see that uh, the, the Shawnee one is... Um, uh, pretty shabby, and and, it, and 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 part of the the segregation thing, right? Is it has improved and looks good, and and definitely in the white parts of town, right? Um, and downtown, you know, and they've tried to spruce it up, and they've had the uh, uh, Market Street uh, Nulu. Um, uh, um, people are familiar with is that it's called Nulu, this neighborhood. It may be officially be called that now, probably was. And it was kind of like uh, rich people bought into this um, Market Street and, you know, and it has become a big thing. Money is, has followed, you know. Uh, when there's a lot of credit there and a lot of cred, uh, it's it eventually caught on and, and there's a lot of wealth there. Well, it's concentrated there and it's the rich white folks street you know i mean let's face it uh so those kind of that's the kind of progress you see in louisville um but overall the kind of progress that we're interested in which is uh bringing up you know uh bringing up our fellow man to be on our level man and we're sharing together like a good communist um that that certainly is not happening in louisville kentucky well, I think it's a matter of just looking at the at the big picture. I mean, you're right to bring up the improvements to the waterfront and and the parks are uh, in- enjoyable and and they're vast and and there are a lot of them. Uh, and I've lived in Louisville and and have enjoyed the the, the parks, um, but the the overall. Uh, picture of of louisville is that it is a stagnant place i mean you've mentioned how it's on a cycle basically of uofl football uofl basketball and then derby there isn't much uh culture there independent of those generic uh major uh influencers Mm -hmm. and 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 as we've mentioned before totally um you know corporate marketed uh right, things right. that I mean, are not, not ge- genuine culture right yes yes well 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 said um and i think that all of that is epitomized by the fried chicken arena which is <laughs> we uh, have to acknowledge <laughs> yeah um, tell tell the, the listener what you mean by the uh ch- <laughs> fried, well, the, chicken. The fried <laughs> chicken arena is the kfc yum center that is was built downtown the fried chicken arena is a much better name and they should use that one, even though you use it in the kind of a derogatory <laughs> making fun right. of sense i think it would still be a better name than the fucking <laughs> kfc right. yum center corporatization yeah I mean, right you're yeah, it, it has a. That's what's it's stuck name. on the fucking side of this uh, not very good looking building. Right, it really isn't. Uh, there really isn't anything that great about it at all, and kind of like the riverfront itself. Yeah, and and really, really, when it comes down to it, not needed. I mean, Freedom Hall uh, yes. was a perfectly decent. I mean, what could it hold like twenty thousand people, or you know. 
Yeah, I think close I mean, to that. Maybe uh, maybe like 18. But yeah, yeah, I watched many basketball games in Freedom Hall and always found it to be a perfectly enjoyable place to watch a game so uh, that it, it, it was unnecessary. Right, yeah. Uh, I think they mainly did it because Louisville wanted to have a place that was bigger than Rupp Arena. But the right. thing that has to be emphasized here is that just like the riverfront, the fried chicken arena is mainly empty and desolate. I mean, the, the riverfront, it's been cleaned up in the sense that it basically just isn't a garbage dump. And that's really, really bad. But it still is, is just... Yeah, a, it, it was amazing. I mean, you go across the river, uh, uh, drive across from Indiana and look over there, man, and it was a mountain of scrap metal <laughs> that went for right. blocks, you know. It was amazing. Dump this stuff here, and the river should be a uh, really the uh, the the vein of, of of your city, the 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 impulse that your city revolves around. I mean, if you if you've been and to your, I mean, it, city, I mean the the whole existence of Louisville is that. I mean, it is um, where the falls of the Ohio was, or um, sort of. It still is, but they built a dam and. Um, and locks to go around it. Um, but uh, everything had to be ported uh, nearly all the year because it was a pretty good little rapids there on a large-ass river, right? So Portland, which is on the west end of Louisville, up against, uh, up against across from basically where the falls are, uh, was where they had to port everything uh, from uh, upstream and port it down to the boats downstream. Uh, much of the year, if not all the year. I mean, I think it was always quite the, you know, quite the falls. You know? um, so, um, yeah, so, I mean, that that was the reason that Louisville's there. I mean, uh, full stop. Uh, but the uh, yeah so so then so then over the over the time uh, industrialization and um, of course no curbs on uh, of pollution up until basically the early seventies uh, well you just had polluted areas everywhere right uh, these huge mounds especially along the river where they it was easy to dump it off there you know um, yeah so. Yeah, um, so, I mean, it definitely looks a hell of a lot better, and they did put in uh, the bridge, uh, which they needed because, they, you know, there was a lot of traffic there, uh, setting aside that there is no, uh, you know, in a more sane place that had uh, commuter trains everywhere uh, that had uh, a subway or uh, that, you wouldn't need this gigantic extra bridge. Uh, two of them actually. Uh, we just to go to Michigan. We just went over the East End Bridge for the first time. You, it's kind of interesting, David. You go around on the Gene Snyder there, and where it used to tee off, you keep going, and then you go through this pretty significant tunnel before you get on the bridge uh, to go there on the East End of town. Uh, so yeah, other other Louisville fun facts, uh, but uh, yeah. Um, What's our conclusion here about Louisville? Well, it's got a long ways to go. Uh, if it's not, if it really expects to be anything other than a patrician, um, hoity-toity, uh, old money cesspool that's segregated and uh, treats old its money mi- cesspool. I think. Is yeah, that treats its the minorities like the darkies of old. Basically, but I do have to emphasize uh, getting. Uh, school children home at 9.58 p.m. Well, yeah, and that's uh, why they had to close it down and just, I don't know, if, is it even open back up? That the people do not care about that city. There is no way something like that can happen if the people that are have these jobs and are calling the shots are really the best people for the job and they care about the other people who live there. And they do not. It's impossible. I mean, this is way beyond incompetence. I mean, you mentioned an important detail at the at the beginning of this, which is that the, most of these jobs are are junk jobs, fake jobs, sham jobs in the first place. If you need bus drivers 
to get students to and from school and to do it it, with ease and and to do it in a timely way and it should be important like if you were taking a prince to and from school you would care that the prince was getting home on time right and you would think that the prince's parents L- little prince davy uh. were, were people who actually mattered and you wouldn't want them upset and freaking out and thinking good god it's seven hours late where is my child and these people don't think like that they have these jobs because they're someone's favorite person they fit a mold uh they they are part of the uh privileged elite class or connected to it uh one way or another but there's no way that the people that are uh, in charge of things and, and calling the shots and making these important decisions are the best people for these jobs who actually know what they're doing and care about what they're doing. It's just a result that is totally incompatible with any justified assumption or benefit of the doubt of the people who are doing things in that city. They do not care. I mean, it's it's a cesspool. I think it's a totally rotten place. And the improvements to the riverfront are basically meaningless. I mean, I won't deny that they're, that they're there, but they're not at all proportional to what a drag of a place it is to live in and what a shithole it is, right? And putting a big basketball arena in a downtown that already had a basketball arena and when you mentioned is is uh, totally uh, unnecessary, and it just shows this kind of the self serving, redundant thinking, right? That you there's this hierarchy of big money, and the the basketball players, the former basketball players, the coaches, and the business people that make a lot of money um, from the the U of L basketball. Uh, they basically want to lock it in and keep things that way. And even the Market Street, which you mentioned, I mean, Louisville downtown is much bigger than just what, as I recall, was basically a two-block area on the south side of, of, of the street, some nice restaurants, some art galleries, and then that's it, right? And that is hardly revitalizing your downtown, where I walk two blocks west or two blocks east, and all of a sudden I'm basically in no man's land once again. And that's another big problem with that city that is really exacerbated by the lack of uh, functional, ubiquitous, and easy-to-use public transportation is that these these no-man land areas, like when you're going from the North Highlands into downtown, and then basically much of downtown, these kind of more crooked, non-grid-like uh, areas as you go from downtown and get actually into the river. Um, these are all uh, places that make it basically impossible to be like, I can just go outside, I can walk somewhere, and I don't have to go in and out of these uninviting places. But yeah, 9.58 p.m., folks, that, that's when the Jefferson County public school system is going to have your child home from school. <laughs> Just in time to watch the evening put him, news. Put him to bed. And, uh, <laughs> Way past little Davies, uh, Prince Davies' bedtime. Right. I, I think that we've missed the, the 3 p.m. Uh, cartoons. Yeah, so uh, let's uh, let's talk bit. about another. Oh yeah, I was thinking about this. That that movie uh, Apollo thirteen uh-huh. uh, was on the other night about mm-hmm. the space flight to the moon where the service module uh, blew up and mm-hmm. uh, astronauts were actually quite fortunate that they were able to survive and right. uh, make it back uh, to Earth. Mm-hmm. It was close to being the first time that American was lost in space. Hmm. Uh, which, of course, uh, Lost in did not happen until, depending on how you look at it, either 1986 or 2003. Now, 1986 would have been the Challenger 
but the uh, the spaceship hadn't made it into space yet. Uh, it was, I think, maybe two Did, minutes. In, didn't in the uh, that doesn't with. count, dude? You guys just died for nothing. Didn't even break a fucking then record. The Columbia shuttle in two thousand three did burn up upon uh, uh, reentry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I I remember that day, <laughs> and so that I think would count as uh, dying in in, uh, in in space flight. Reentry being the most uh, dangerous part of a of a space uh mission but upon watching that movie i thought it was easier to get apollo 13 back home than it was to get a uh, school children home from school in louisville <laughs> yeah but yeah if, if they just had those astronauts in charge there at the school system i think things would where's jim lovell when you need him <laughs> yeah yeah, so let's uh, let's move on to uh, um, another shithole um, across the seas, other side of the world, Ukraine. Uh, it uh, uh, we'll, we'll come back home uh, uh, to the great U.S. Uh, before we leave, listeners. But uh, let's you know take it away from here, so we don't feel so anxious that it's going to happen to us. You know, it's it's way over there. You know. It's uh, it's not so distressing. Um, latest news in Ukraine. Uh, I think they're about ready to win there, David. Uh, uh, All right, victory. Yeah, yeah, Putin is on the ropes, and um, I th- I think we should just at this point just roll on in to Russia, invade. Um, I don't know what we call that operation, David. Um, operation cleanup. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, operation grease the um, skids. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, of course, I'm joking. Uh, it's the usual quagmire. Uh, uh, but uh, you hear quite a number of different. Uh, partially uh, pessimistic um, assessments of the situation, the so-called counteroffensive, uh, which I guess is still going on, right? <laughs> uh, this counteroffensive, is it supposed to just happen all year long? I mean, when, when does it, when is the counteroffensive over? I mean, when, when should it be called an offensive? Isn't it always a counteroffensive if you were offended upon? When, I don't know. It's a little confusing. I guess why I'm confused is because none of it makes sense anyway. You can't believe a word uh, of what is coming out from uh, the administration or uh, Congress either. Um, you know, it's a fact-free zones there, right? Uh, uh, we're just supposed to believe what these people say all the time. And I guess that their opinions are what you see on the media all the time, right, David? I mean, it's... Uh, uh, the go 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 uh, Russia evil theme is ubiquitous, right? Um, uh, well, you have to remember how all of this ties back into Trump, right? Because Trump is a Putin asset, and so the real focus is on focusing on Trump by way of Putin, Putin bad. So. Oh, so, so you you get, a, you, Ukraine, get a, you get you so get a strong you get a strong feeling that they're always winking towards Trump when they say Putin. Well, I think that that's the uh, the the background uh, of it, and um, more historically, just this um, adversarial relationship with Russia, right? Cold War two point but I have seen, and I think I uh, sent you one of these articles. Um, there was an article saying, uh, "Is it time to admit that the counteroffensive was a bust?" Finally, acknowledging that it it doesn't really seem to be going anywhere, and I I think that you'll be amused to to know some of the problems that have been pointed out, which is basically the the Ukrainians trained by the West um, were not trained well because the U.S. just went in and took everything that it knew from fighting in the Middle East 
and trained Ukraine to do that, right? And that just goes to show you how thoughtless and uh, brainless and going through the motions uh, the U.S. military and U.S. foreign policy is. It's just, okay, we got another war. Let's go over here and let's show them how to do it, right? And they're just so eager to keep wars going that there's no one's going to think about anything. And one of the Ukrainians said, you have to know your enemy, right? Russia and fighting Russia in this war between Russia and Ukraine is not the same thing as fighting an insurgency in Iraq or fighting uh, the, the Taliban in Afghanistan, which certainly that shouldn't be uh, a model to to use in Ukraine because we lost that war. But of course, that's never talked about in any of these discussions of Western aid uh, to Ukraine. So you have the 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 poor, misguided, um, mal-aligned um, uh, training of of Ukraine. Uh, that's one of the problems. But then uh, no sooner are there some acknowledgments that the counteroffensive isn't going well, then you start to get surprise, surprise. We're seeing partial successes in the, the counteroffensive and that they're able to, the Ukrainians have been able to reclaim uh, some uh, territory uh, from the Russians. And then on top of that, you get a change of the narrative. And this was uh, another recent article where uh, this uh, think tank argues that, uh, that really the, the goal is not uh, victory, but just to have a protracted war against Russia. And so the problem, of course, is people like ourselves who have all along this misguided understanding of why we're in Ukraine and what the real objectives are, even though Zelensky himself has said repeatedly that the goal is not only to stop the Russians, but to push them out of all of the occupied territory in Ukraine, right? So has the Secretary of State of the United States, who has said, we're not even going to begin to negotiate or to have peace talks until Ukraine can negotiate from a position of strength, which means until Russia's been driven out of Ukraine. So just in the four different uh, versions of what's going on that I've given you, uh, you can see uh, the classic line that the first casualty in war is truth, right? You're always getting competing versions of what's going on. The counteroffensive is a bust. The counteroffensive is a partial success. The goal all along has never been to win the war with Russia. So the quagmire stalemate means that it is a success because that actually is the goal. The goal all along has been not protracted war and a stalemate, but to drive Russia out of Ukraine, and thus Ukraine can uh, negotiate with Russia from a position of strength. All of these are contradictory, both the real-time status of the counteroffensive and the diachronic long-term, what is the goal, right? And if we don't have a clear a clearly defined goal, we don't have any way to assess what's going on, right? If we don't have a timeline or a time frame, we can't gauge whether or not what we're doing is worth it or if it's going the way that we expect. And so there's no way to uh, make any sense of, of what's happening, right? And you're just left with this American, mindless, rah, 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 we're good, fight, 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 team, fight, team, fight, 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 mindset, right? And there's nothing but nothing else uh, 
going on um, with with any of these situations. To cap off all of that wonderful <laughs> information, um, the latest talk in terms of the the spending for Ukraine uh, has been that uh, Biden wants twenty four billion more to give to Ukraine. Right. And then the other two numbers that uh, were mentioned were 12 billion and 5 billion for w- something that has to do with this other country that the president occasionally pays attention to called the United States. So you don't, you just look at those numbers 24 billion for Ukraine, 12 billion for something domestically, 5 billion for, for something else. What's the highest number by twice as much? It's the 24 billion that Ukraine is getting. Uh, and so when, this, so when, when it was this supposed to happen in short order, I guess, it seems like they always well, get exactly uh, what. Currently, I think it's the latest. Oh. Uh, in terms of the, the spending for the Ukraine war, Biden's requested 24 billion along with uh, 12 billion and 5 billion for uh uh, for domestic things. Do you want us uh, to lose, David? Are you saying you want us to lose? Fight, fight, fight. Right. But fight. I mean, how do we know that it's it's worth it if we're going to talk about this fiscal conservatism, right? We can bring it back to JCPS because, uh, look, no matter what kind of school system you have, busing system that you have, in any kind of work, you need the number of workers, right, and uh, the tools and skills necessary to do the job. You have to invest in that. And no doubt, one of the, the contributors to this absolute inhumane disaster, I mean, you could almost argue that this is kidnapping right when it now now david it was a it was an adventure for the widow children at night that you still had this student you basically kidnapped them right like the parent doesn't know where their child is and can't get them oh david david you you've got it now you're on the right track see it's gonna be um they took the children to a special warehouse where they got the adrenochrome out of them. It took that long. That's so why can, it so took so long. Alzheimer's. <laughs> and well, really, if you think about it, I mean, how, what's a quick uh, plane flight to that pizza place in Washington, DC. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. There's plenty of time to get there. Seven hours it takes, you know, an hour and a half to fly to DC. Oh, no, no, David, the they don't have to do that. Uh, they don't have to do that for the, child prostitute ring no they well no they, they do that on, on david no get they, them back on the plane and, it's all on site david oh they were on the bus the whole time yeah sure yeah <laughs> yeah they were they were um <laughs> uh yeah they um they don't have that to sounds crazy would it be crazier than saying that the reason that uh, people want to teach civil war slavery and, and racism in history is that they're un-American and they're incompetent as as history teachers when the obvious is that the opposite is true. Like if you're a history teacher and you don't ever teach the Civil War slavery and racism, you're incompetent. Right? That's that's the total fraud. That's the person with the agenda right there. I'm speaking of Florida in particular, but um really across the nation but uh, across the bring, nation so the the lack of of ukraine uh is a is a present day example of spin 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 recklessly as much as you want when it comes to war and on everything else just keep cutting it and all of these cuts to our austerity, all of these cuts to, to local school districts 
over time is going to have the cumulative effect where you don't have enough people to do these jobs, right? If there were enough buses and if there were enough bus drivers, right, and you, the people that had the task of organizing how to get everybody to and from school and to oversee it and make sure that it was running smoothly, if they were all paid well and treated like they actually mattered and they weren't just some piece of shit like, oh, okay, well, this is your chance. We're going to give you a job. Like, we don't actually need anyone to do this. We're just going to give you something to do. Here, wouldn't it be fun to big drive this big yellow bus all over the place? Uh, then uh, this kind of thing uh, would not have, have happened. And while I'm thinking about it, one of the real undeniable signs of, of cruelty and, and cost cutting and just saying, well, we're not going to we're going to make it even more of a pain in the ass to get to and from school than it has been all along is one of the many uh, miserable accounts that I read of this complete criminal disaster with the JCPS uh, busing system on the first days of school. Uh, in Louisville is that one of the, the places uh, where the buses come is this uh, trailer park, I think, in the in the south end, probably Okalona Pleasure Ridge Park area. And the way that it had always been done for years is the bus would come into the trailer park and then there was a there was a public area. Uh, in the in the uh, like a community center in the trailer park and all of the children just went to the community center there. The bus came into the trailer park, went to the community center and, and picked up all the children there and then drove them to school. Now they said, we're not going to do that anymore. The, all of the children that lived in the trailer park had to leave the trailer park and cross an eight lane highway. <laughs> Right in the dark with lots and lots of traffic going really, really fast during the morning rush hour. Right. And then they all had to walk to the bus stop. Right. Because it makes it easier and more efficient. Right. This is cost cutting. Right. Won't take as much time. It'll make it easier for us. It's less gas that we have to pay for. The, uh, we don't have to pay the, uh, the bus driver as much because they're on a hourly wage and it's going to take them less time to pick them up on this on this uh highway it's, it's, i wonder if it's something like dixie highway that, where the children had to walk to right uh -huh. safety is our biggest concern your children's safety is our biggest concern right of course this is only true when it comes to marijuana dope drugs and by the way i i mean we've talked about that plenty enough but i sent you yet another reefer madness uh, piece from uh, uh cnn um but yeah i had to get that in about the the busing that was one of the uh accounts that i read where i just thought God, i cannot believe this <laughs> the 9 58 p.m and then making all of the children when you had already done it a way that worked for years now i'm listening i want to know a good explanation right if the people that run the city of louisville aren't complete assholes i'm listening right now i want to hear an explanation for why you would make such a decision yeah uh, i don't have that one for you uh well, yeah, well what uh so what were you saying about, about that? what were you saying about cannabis uh well just another reefer madness uh piece that you know reinforces you know the perception that can cannabis is harmless um I sent it to you this afternoon. I don't oh. know if you'd be easy enough to, to look at it, but basically they're saying that the smoking cannabis is just as bad for you as uh, smoking tobacco, even though buried in the article toward the end, someone admits that smoking cannabis doesn't cause lung cancer, but smoking tobacco does. So that right there is a total contradiction of this argument that smoking cannabis is just as bad as smoking tobacco. I mean, in the first place, it shouldn't matter because tobacco is legal and you should do with your body whatever you want, right? Being out in the sun, sunbathing, that'll give you cancer, the guzzling of the alcohol, all sorts of, of behaviors 
and habits can be cancer causing. And get this, Dave, like people can get cancer for no apparent reason at all. This is the next thing they know, there's something wrong with their body. And then they go to the doctor and they run some tests and they've got cancer. Right. So um, that toward toward the end, they finally say, I mean, there's obviously it's much safer. Like this does not cause lung cancer. Tobacco does cause lung cancer. Man, that's a major, major difference. Unless, of course, you're going to say that cancer is not a major health concern. Um, yeah, and then uh-huh. buried even further in that, and this gets back to these uh, reefer madness studies where the cannabis is studied by these people who presumably are totally objective. They've never heard of cannabis before. It's like a new organism that's been discovered or rocks from a newly discovered planet, right? Oh, what's this? Well, I'll get my microscope and my computers and calculators out and we'll do some pie charts and graphics and walk around in our white lab coats and be all professional and objective and dispassionate and hmm, what are our results? Let's look at the data and do some rigorous methodology and figure out uh, what kind of results that we can get and get some statistics in there and crunch some numbers. Wow, look at those numbers. And we'll they'll break out some of these uh, sophisticated uh, terms and this jargon. Wow, I know this term. You bet you've never heard of that, right? Finally, the very, very end of the article, one of the people who did this study says, that she says, you know, I'm not against cannabis. I just want people to be aware of the dangers. And maybe she's not. I mean, maybe she's not anti-cannabis, but the article sure as hell reads like it. I mean, it's it's so tilted toward the danger and this is bad, this is bad, right? And it's another emerging, emerging narrative in Reefer Madness 2.0 that's basically saying as perceptions, uh, as cannabis gains acceptance, right? And perceptions are that it's harmless. The studies, the research being done is increasingly showing the opposite and that this stuff is really bad and dangerous. And we better uh, uh, we better watch out. Of course, what's really going on is that after decades of the public itself believing all of this bullshit about marijuana and that is finally starting to wear off. Right. Now the institutions have to double down in our completely undemocratic system and and force people back to the perceptions that they had before, right? Instead of saying, hmm, isn't it interesting that as, as people gain greater access to cannabis and as cannabis has more of a presence in society, the perceptions that people have of it are that it really isn't dangerous and harmful, right? And that's another important distinction to make. There's a difference between saying that something is uh, dangerous and saying that something isn't completely harmless, right? And that distinction is completely lost. Unless something implicitly in this uh, study, in this CNN piece and many others, implicitly, unless something is 100% completely harmless it is dangerous right there is, there is nothing else right and of course that's also anti-science junk science like you're going to call yourself a scientist and just be this simple-minded black and white about everything like given the totality of things that people could be doing to themselves and all the different harmful things that uh that people do where does cannabis fit in with this? And of course, it really is harmless. I mean, two main things that need to be reiterated that these jackasses never talk about, or if they do, they mention it one single time buried at the bottom of the article. The smoking cannabis doesn't cause a lung cancer, and it doesn't cause overdoses, right? These are major major facts but david david no that's not true the children are the children are showing up in emergency rooms this is harming children right the same children that we care about so much we get them home from school at 9 58 p.m 
That's how much we care about your children and the safety of your children. Your children's safety is our number one priority. And here we can just see this reeking self-serving morality, right? That, that being moral only has to do with the agenda that the person has, right? And if I want to hate the guts of people who smoke pot and vilify them and criminalize them, that's what morality means. And if getting children home from school in fewer than seven hours after school is over, if that has something to do with the safety of the child, looking out for the child, then forget it. Because that doesn't have anything to do with hating people's guts and spreading lies. So, David, um, I'm glad that uh, the listener has uh, happened to ride our uh, cool school bus. It's kind of like auto uh, on the Simpsons, you know, the school bus driver, stoner school bus driver on the Simpsons. I hope the little kids got on that bus, and uh, and I'm glad that they were dropped off here for an hour. And, um, you know, sure, you'll get back at 10 p.m., but it was worth it, little Davy. Hey, they got to take a great tour of that wonderful, glistening, improved uh, city of, of Louisville. Think of all the parks and the green spaces that they got to see and all of the nice uh, restaurants and art galleries they got to drive by. Indeed. Well, we got a couple of minutes left. Um, I, I, we probably should mention uh, Maui. Maui, wowie, yeah. Let's talk about talk that. Talk about the burnout, man. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess I was, uh, <clears throat> it's, it's funny, I, I didn't hear that joke this week. Um, wow. I guess I'm a horrible person. Uh, but yeah, that uh, that was extreme, man. And uh, of course, it didn't have anything to do with uh, the climate at all. It was just happened to be uh, a hurricane that was way offshore, and the winds were strong, and it was a little dry, and you know. Things happen, David. This is just the high winds. I mean, yet another extreme weather event. It's totally consistent with the uh, results of climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and we're not. Uh, and we're not. Yeah, really I mean, the, any... <clears throat> I mean, the, the 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 other case of this that I remember somewhat recently was a few years back. Uh, that place on the edge of Boulder, I think it is. Um, uh, near De- on western uh, side of Denver, Boulder is kind of up against the uh, the community uh, near Denver that's up against the mountains there, and uh, and I guess that the, a wildfire got started in the grass or something. It was really high winds that day. It was like forty fifty mile an hour, uh, just winds blowing hard, and a fire got a wildfire got in the grasslands, and then it just got into the houses, and it was just a firestorm. Very similar situation. Uh, you know, I, th- I think it could have even been worse. I'm not sure what happened there. Uh, I think maybe the winds died down or uh, uh, something like that in Boulder, but, you know, these things are going to happen more and more. Um, I guess maybe uh, places like um, I don't know, Phoenix or whatever. It's such a desert. There's just not as much to burn. <laughs> so the, like the ultra desert places that people are, uh, maybe we're not going to get so many of those kind of things, but, um, yeah, um, it's definitely in the future. We're going to see more of these, uh, well, yeah, there was like Roseland Rose Park or something, California. That was another case of paradise. Uh, paradise. Oh, how could I forget um, yeah, nearly as many people died. I believe that the death total is up to uh, 89, and it's, it's expected to rise. And one of the things that should tell you how how extreme an event this was is just how the the fire came so quickly. Mm-hmm. And I mean, people are uh, talking about how the warning system didn't alert everyone, but. Again, this is the la-la land of the American mind. I mean, there are such things as disasters, that Hmm. it is a disaster and a catastrophe because it does hit you so quickly, right? That's one of the uh, 
big reasons for uh, prevention, right? And getting things under control because you can't adapt to them, right? It's like, okay, you've got one minute to evacuate your house before this giant fire literally blows everything up. And uh, the the account that that I had read is that, uh, I believe this was on Tuesday, which would have been uh, August uh, the 8th, that there had been a reporting of a a fire near uh, Lahaina at 6.37 a.m. And uh, people in the immediate area were evacuated, right? Then by 10 o'clock in the morning, um, things were under control or they, it was perceived to be uh, under control. And then at 3.30, the fire starts up again. And then uh, an hour later, people are reporting how they hear explosions, right? Because the thing, the, the fire just totally took off. There was, a, there was a downslope wind that was blowing the fire from the northeast down to the southwest. It was blowing downhill you know, right toward uh, uh, Lahaina, hit a gas station and blew it up. And so this one person said that he hears this explosion and he looks out his window and his neighbor's yard is on fire, right? And he basically has to to leave immediately. Um, And that disasters do happen like this. They, They happen so quickly. There, there really is no way to get warning out and to, and to, uh, for people to be able uh, to escape, right? But not to get uh, your head around the, the problem of using fossil fuels, fossil fuels creating this greenhouse effect that leads to climate change, which is the overall warming of the planet and these uh, continuous uh, uh, extreme uh, weather events, extreme heat in, in Phoenix, the floods, uh, the the droughts, and and the uh, tornadoes. Drought was another part of the problem. The in Ho- in Hawaii, the the grass being all um, so dry that uh, right, very 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 dry uh, conditions, and and the winds. You have a hurricane um, coming through, and uh, and so this is just uh, another. Uh, devastating disaster and, and to show you how extreme an event it is it's the worst uh, disaster that Hawaii has faced um, at least until 1961 when I think there was a, a, a tidal wave uh, that killed a lot of people but probably the death toll from this wildfire will surpass that but it's the uh, in terms of deaths it's the deadliest uh wildfire in u.s history in over a hundred years right and so if this isn't so unusual how come it hasn't happened how come there hasn't been a wildfire this bad uh in in more uh than a hundred years well david i I don't i don't know um but just thoughts and prayers now oh of course right thoughts and prayers and don't don't talk about it but speaking of Colorado. Mm-hmm. This is quite interesting because I, I it was, I believe it was uh, August the eighth when this fire actually happened. But the real coverage and attention to the disaster, and of course the disaster was still in play the next day, which was August the ninth, right? And this would be August the ninth, two thousand twenty three. And what I thought uh, was very interesting is that. Uh, that date is the 10-year anniversary of the Manitou flood of August the 9th, 2013, when um, there were a, a lot of rain came very quickly. Uh, the ground was uh, super saturated because there had already been flooding uh, going on for uh, two months uh, prior that summer. Um, and then, of course, you had uh, the Waldo Canyon fire from the summer before, which meant that the, uh, all of the topsoil, once there were heavy rains, was just going to roll off because there wasn't there wasn't any soil there to keep 
the uh, to keep the ground uh, rooted down, and so uh, that just all the more exacerbated the, the flash flooding. But the uh, the Colorado Springs uh, Pikes Peak area got a heavy amount of rain in a short amount of time, and I remember I was on a bus uh, leaving the uh, the Broadmoor where I met a friend of mine this was a friday and and was headed back to uh to colorado springs where fortunately the that's where the von goodnesses uh my my cats were so they weren't in manitou during all this uh flooding um but in really in less than an hour so much rain came uh that these uh floods came and just completely uh really wiped out uh downtown manitou springs and two people uh were killed and so um i i, I remember that that summer and those floods in in my mind that was really the beginning of a new time and a new era of this this extreme disastrous weather and it's interesting to me the timing that that 10 years later you know, minus one day you have this uh, this horrible uh, catastrophe, historic wildfire uh, in uh, Lahaina, Hawaii. It's a cycle. For my co-host and colleague, David Vernon Miller, this is Dr. David W. Overby, and you've been listening to the Oblivion Podcast.